Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Good evening and welcome to the show. You're on the road to recovery. I'm Yona Bud. I will be your host and tour director this evening. We're joined this evening by Sophia and Natasha uh, in studio. And Corey, of course, is producing uh, as always. Uh, And we send our uh, regards and uh, condolences to the uh, entire Lastman family. My father and uh, the former Mayor Mel Lastman, who since has deceased, I believe, this evening, um, we're close friends and uh, did a lot of work together over the years. I knew him as a child. We lived in the same neighborhood. Uh, my brothers know, you know, my younger brother knows his kids quite well. And um, it's, you know, just the greatest salesman ever. You know, he made North York. He made the mega city. A great negotiator. Uh, just an incredible flashy, fun guy. Uh, great, uh, great father, great grandfather. And uh, we hope his families uh, are able to find some comfort in uh, wonderful, wonderful memories. We'll miss him. He uh, he did a lot for, for Toronto and continue, continued to be a colorful character. So uh, we're hoping that uh, his family will uh, will be able to find some solace in uh, his great, his great, great accomplishments. Uh, thank you so much, anyway, for joining us this evening on a, on a different note here. Um, wanted to uh, just invite everyone to give us a call here tonight, 416-870-6400, or text, uh, text me here at 647 647- Four eight eight zero zero eight six. If you're out of town, call me at triple eight two two five eight two five five. We want to hear from you and uh, jump in on any of these subjects uh, that we're talking about, where you feel you can add some value, or just give us a call to say hey that you're liking the show or not liking the show. Either way, we want to hear from you. You know, what the, one of the things that we're dealing with here, um, as we've been going week by week, I, you know, I apologize if if you think it's redundant that I keep talking about the tragedy uh, that we're facing with uh, kids and youth. Uh, as a result of uh, the pandemic and, and and all of the related mental health issues around that, um, so you know we continue to talk about it to bring it to your attention and to share it as part of the road to discovery. Everybody, a road to recovery. Excuse me. It's it's a way to discover solutions and 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 just hearing from each other to talk about ways to cope um, is also very valuable, right? So that's what this is all about. And uh, sometimes there's bumps in the road, right? Sometimes there's potholes in the road, and we we talk about those too. Here's one of those big potholes. Uh, Post-secondary school uh, students uh, are finding themselves hopeless uh, as the online class scenario drags into 2022. Uh, Pre-recorded classes, living away from home, add to their sense of disconnection. Um, as an online class stretches into 2022, a lot of post-secondary students, uh, in particular in this article in Ottawa, say that they're struggling to stay engaged with their schoolwork and to continue to make friends and keep hopelessness at bay. Uh, most students are, have moved to the city, uh, into Ottawa, to took up residence either on campus or in their own apartments in anticipation of what was uh, to be uh, in-person classes. Uh, they were sold in-person classes. They registered for in-person classes. Anyway, they're now away from their support networks, right? Sometimes for the first time in their lives, many kids I deal with, um, you know, in, in, at the end of high school, uh, you know, we deal with in therapy because they're just so freaked out about going off to college. They don't know how to, they don't know how to cook for themselves. They don't know how to clean for themselves. Uh, they don't know where to go shopping. I mean, it's just, they're not prepared. So they're away from that. Now they're away from their support networks. Uh, one uh, woman, uh, her name is Gabby, uh, a student at Carleton says, I'm just sitting at my desk and kind of clicking through the lecture after lecture, getting no feedback or encouragement. And it just feels like, you know, like I'm just like there for a while. 
So several uh, university students at Carleton uh, who reached out <clears throat> to the media via Instagram described their uh, in, in secretist classes as paying a lot of money to watch YouTube videos, right? So we're, we're, this, this online class stuff isn't really working, guys, right? You feel disconnected through the whole lecture, and then you see all the students in real life talking to each other and learning and being really engaged. That's, that's the student experience. That's what people are looking for. Some students are early birds. This is what the university spokesperson said. His name's Stephen Reed. This is what he said from Carleton. Some students are, are early birds, while others prefer or can only learn and study late at night. Asynchronized courses provide flexibility. Come on, that's a bunch of crap. You know, now they're providing classes in the evening for university students that want to sleep in the morning. Give me a break. Come on. School now provides a variety of in-person and online resources to help students build study and time management skills, blah, 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 blah. According to the students, though, according to this girl, Gabby, right, a second-year student living off campus, she's completed her first year of, of their degree in childhood and youth studies. She did that from their family home in Oakville. They registered her and her family, you know, it cost a lot of money. They registered their second-year classes this summer. Uh, one workshop this fall and three, and then there's going to be semester classes to continue all in person. So she took a leap, uh, raised the money and found an apartment with two roommates off campus in Ottawa. So she's doing all the things though of living alone, balancing, making sure I have food to eat, making sure that I have time to sleep. And when you live at your parents' house, she says, it's almost all taken care of and you can focus entirely on school. Here is where the problem is, my friends. The problem is we, as parents, do everything for our kids, and as they grow up, they can't care for themselves. So there are counseling programs and stuff available online. Um, you know, there's you know the, the thing that a lot of students are concerned about is that there are sports events and such in a lot of the college and university campuses, but things like dance, dance, and and some of the uh, the fine art programs are canceled. Uh, as a result of pandemic restrictions, but the sporting events seem to continue. It's frustrating for a lot of kids. They feel kind of hopeless, right? Here's another girl. Her name is Kaylee, uh, and she goes to Algonquin College um, and heard of good things about life in the residence at Algonquin College. It's supposed to be a great college, by the way. Uh, three months in, she now says, would never recommend the residence life experience to anybody. I thought I was going to have a mental breakdown over constrained how constrained we feel here and how they feel like they're just locked in as prisoners. So, you know, she's, she's a good example of people who are in college, in university, where they're not allowed to have visitors and residents. So it's, you know, you're kind of down to yourself. Parents can't visit. I mean, most parents go to visit their kids on campus and see how they're doing and bring them food and clothes and so on, come back and forth. I know some mothers who just, you know, are maybe a little too involved and are there all the time. But with restrictions of not allowing people on campus or into dorms, makes it very difficult for a lot of these young people who are isolated. One young man says, I burnt out by the end of the day. I don't have a proper disconnect from my dorm room where I have a double room. I work in front of my bed, and uh, and he's living on campus. He also says he could have put the money he's spending on his residence if he was going to do video all day towards his tuition, which he had to take additional student loans for. So these kids are feeling really kind of out of it, really kind of disconnected and somewhat hopeless, right? And we're not doing a great job of helping them. It's just kind of like we're going on and we're off and we're doing and we're not doing. And we're not paying a lot of attention, attention to, the to as, uh, as my friend Alex Pierce said, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of collateral damage, right? There's a lot of collateral damage in 
and what we're leaving behind here as we get through this pandemic or try to get through this pandemic. And young people who are trying to make a life for themselves are finding it extremely hopeless and are finding it very difficult to connect with something that might give them a little bit of hope. So I think we need to do a better job as adults and we need to do a better job as a society in making sure that the kids in our lives, the young people in our lives, the people that are growing up understand that we're going to get through this. We're all getting through it. Things are getting better. Things will improve. But as far as the colleges and universities are concerned, I, I think what they're doing is rather disgraceful. I think they're, that they really need to take another look at what, the, what, what they need to deliver here. You know, they're collecting all of this tuition. Okay, that's one thing. I get it. It's a money business. And, you know, that's why people are in business, I suppose. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to deliver something. You've got to deliver something positive, a positive product that, the, that, that people can feel good about. And right now, our college students and university students aren't feeling really good about their college and university experience. Anyway, speaking of an experience for kids, when we come back, we're going to be younger people. We're going to come back from break here, talk about how cannabis use disorder is now linked to heart attacks in younger people. So smoking weed isn't as simple and as easy-peasy as we thought. So we'll be right back. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. You've got Yona Bud here on the Road to Recovery with Natasha and Sophia, and we're uh, pleased to be here with you. We'd love to hear from you tonight, 416-870-6400, or if you're out of the area, 888-225-TALK, which is 8255. You know, smoking weed, not such a big deal, right? You wouldn't think. But there's, you know, there's a lot of issues around um, the use of marijuana, whether you're smoking it, eating it, drinking it. Um, however you might be ingesting it, um, you know, there are different things to pay attention to. So one of the things we want to keep talking about so people keep understanding and kind of repeat the message, um, edibles, if you're not used to eating them, or if you're not used to using them, you need to go slow, right? You need to go really slow. So for example, you know, a, one gummy bear, you know, might not think it's a big deal. So maybe you'll have two because you didn't get any kind of reaction from the first time or you didn't get a buzz, so to speak, from the first gummy bear. So you have a couple more and you realize, oh, my God, I've had too many. Now they're in you. It's difficult to get them out. It's different when you smoke, right? If you're smoking too much, if you're smoking weed and it gets to be a little too much, you just stop smoking. You put it down and off you go or, you know, but once you start ingesting it, it's a whole different thing. And as much as people talk about marijuana being, you know, kind of a, a drug that doesn't hurt you, and, and listen, I'm I'm all for recreational use of, of uh, you know, alcohol and drugs if you know what you're doing, and you know it's some enjoyable, you know, recreational thing that you're, you know, you're you're using because you're having fun, not because you're trying to make your life better. That's kind of the difference for me, big time. So, uh, but we're learning now is that since the increased, uh, since the the increasing legalization of marijuana across the U.S., and of course it's legal anywhere in Canada, we're now finding that people under 50 that are diagnosed with what's called cannabis use disorder uh, are later hospitalized for heart failure and uh, heart attacks. As a matter of fact, the rising trend uh, goes from, let me see here, 2007 to 2018 and was most pronounced in three groups. So age 18 to 34 men, and African-Americans, according to findings being presented at the American Heart Association, I think this past Sunday, their virtual scientific sessions conference. So the results are considered preliminary until they're actually published in a peer-reviewed journal. But according to the statistics, it shows that the American Heart Association uh, statistics show heart attacks are much less common 
in people uh, under 50 compared to older adults. So the study then suggests, so if it's less common to have a heart attack under the age of 50, but we're seeing an increase in people who have heart-related uh, uh, issues in, uh, that, are old, that are under 50 who are using or have been diagnosed with cannabis use disorder, so cannabis use disorder is like any other um, disorder as it relates to substance abuse. So it's when you're smoking a lot of weed and you're smoking it for uh, all the wrong reasons and or using it for all the wrong reasons. Maybe you're not smoking it. You're using it for all the wrong reasons. So, uh, But we're now finding is that that's, we've got heart issues around this. So it might also be lifestyle-related. I think the study goes on to talk about here uh, further. Uh, we need to specifically pay attention to this, according to, to the lead researcher. Uh, her name is Darshi Desai, um, and she's a clinical uh, observer at the University of California, Riverside, who's actually putting this, one of the people putting the study together. We have more heart attack patients coming in because of cannabis use disorder. She says uh, there's a temporal relationship. It's definitely going to be putting a huge stress on the healthcare resources long-term as we see it today. Her and her colleagues analyzed records of, let me see here, 800, but 820,000 people uh, from a large public database of hospital stays. So they identified people uh, who were 18 to 49 who'd been hospitalized for heart attack and whose records showed a previous diagnosis of cannabis use disorder. So that, by the way, that's defined as excessive chronic use of marijuana with symptoms of dependence, inability to control use, and inpatient and impairment, excuse me, in social functions. So basically, you know, you're, you're, you're not conducting yourself properly. The, the weed is working you. You're not working the weed, right? Um, you know, you're not smoking the pot, pot, pot smoking you, so to speak. So it, it, when these people that we're talking about these, these in this particular study, you know, are, are considered um, uh, folks that have a cannibal use, cannibal use disorder, cannabis use disorder, excuse me, um, and not just simple, you know, casual users every once in a blue moon. Marijuana use has been increasing in the United States and Canada, particularly amongst 18 to 25-year-olds. We know that as legalization uh, for both me medical and recreation use progresses. So the researchers haven't pinned down whether um, that actually translated into an increase, by the way. We don't really know yet if the increase in numbers of people with cannabis use disorder, frankly, are related to the increase in legalization. Um, i got to believe that... Um, there's got to be a correlation somewhere. We're probably way too soon to see it. Anyway, 2019 study published in the, the psychiatry journal JAMA showed that the disorder increased slightly among 12 to 17-year-olds and people 26 and older uh, between 2008 2016. Uh, the study also found that from 2016, um, well, it increased the trends, of the, well, marijuana use increased the trends of the disorder per se uh, were relatively flatlined. They didn't see any any huge bumps in the in the study line, right? So uh, no big no big peaks and valleys. The new analysis uh, found that overall here, four point one percent of patients hospitalized for heart attacks also had cannabis use disorder. Proportionately, near that proportion nearly tripled from two thousand and seventeen when it was two point four to six point seven in two thousand and eighteen. So in 2007, a uh, heart attack related to cannabis use disorder uh, has gone from 2.4% uh, to 6.7% um, around, I would I, I got to say it's around legalization, but they haven't tied it together yet and no, really, no one really called me to ask. So that's just my uh, un unprofessional statistic that I think is just out there for what it's worth. Uh, when researchers broke the data into subgroups, 
It was interesting because they found that people 18 to 34, 7.3% in 2007, that, that number jumped to 20.2% in 2008 of people with issues uh, 18 to 34. African Americans, 15.8% in 2007 had a problem, 15%, almost 16%, jumped to 35% in 2018. And in men, generally, 71% had a, uh, those with cannabis use disorder had some form of uh, increase and in related health condition to, uh, in 2007 to 78% in 2018. So the study suggested a link between cannabis use and heart attack, but the evidence, uh, according to Robert Page, he's a professor of pharmacy at the University of Colorado, he, um, he says that the data add uh, the, to the body of literature that there is a red flag with cannabis use in young adults. Cannabis users need to realize that just because it's a natural product doesn't necessarily mean it's safe because it's not safe. And he goes on to say it's like any other psychotropic medication. It has side effects, and this could be one of them. Heart conditions could be one of them. Now, I got to think if you're smoking it, you're probably a smoker anyway. If you're using a lot of weed and you're burning out, you're probably not getting to the gym. You're probably not eating really well. And my guess is you're passing out. You're not really sleeping. So those could be huge contributors, by the way, right, to this particular uh, this particular connection between cannabis use disorder and heart attack. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how many of these people that are studied actually uh, have some form of, um, number one, mental health condition, if there is one that attached to the finding of cannabis use disorder, um, and or any link between the things that they do that are good for themselves. What's their diet? Are they working out? Like I said, are they in a gym? Are they sleeping properly? Are they working? Are they, are they, are they transient? Do they have a home? Do they have family that cares about them? You know, these, you know, these are all things that play into the role of someone who is taking care of themselves or concerned about their wellness, you know? Um, but we got to understand that as, as easy as it is to use weed and to use, you know, cannabis, uh, people don't like it when I use the term weed, but that's what it is. When you know when you use when you're using cannabis, it's it's just not that simple thing. And the same, by the way, just for the record, the same too for alcohol. Okay, like alcohol, it's easy to drink, but you know it can lead to really bad stuff. And it's easy to start drinking and continue to drink, and you know have a rough day at the office and have another drink, and then. A rough day on the weekend, have another drink, and then it's free evening and kind of feeling crappy. I'll have a few more drinks. So alcohol use disorder, cannabis use disorder, any of these um, consumption-related things that we do to act out to help us feel better, we think to try to help us feel better, there's all kinds of underlying problems that you don't see on the surface. And organ organ, um, breakdown, you know, uh, heart, uh, lungs, uh, kidney, spleen, stomach, um, you know, the, the, there, there's all kinds of, of issues around bladder use and so on uh, that are related to the consumption of things that just aren't good for us. And alcohol is certainly one of them. Cannabis, as we're seeing, is certainly one of them. Um, the same, too, for, you know, high degree, high amounts of sugar, uh, fatty foods, and so on. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about what a good diet looks like because people keep asking me, Yona, like, how do I know I'm eating well? Like, how do I know if the food's actually good for me? Because we talk about and preach about and, you know, spread the word about eating well, sleeping well, and getting some exercise. That's one of the key factors. Those are three key factors in getting past 
the things that make us uncomfortable and make us want to do things that aren't good for us. As soon as we come back, we're going to talk about some young, uh, the young people again as it relates to the pandemic, but this time the economic impact. How does this relate to dollars and cents for young people and how is it making them feel? Uh, I can only imagine the anxiety is continuing through the roof. We'll be right back. Yona Bud, 640. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you. This is Yona Bud here on the Road to Recovery. If you're joining us for the first time, I appreciate you joining us. We know you have other options. Uh, If you're just checking in now, uh, you may not have heard, but the former mayor, Mel Lastman, has passed away. Uh, So we want to send condolences to him, to his family, to all those that knew him. He was a remarkable man and... uh, I'm sure over the next number of days, we'll hear all kinds of stories and uh, perhaps I'll share some of my own over the weeks to come. Uh, but anyway, we're uh, just uh, feeling real bad for his family and uh, just hope that everybody uh, can, uh, you know, can do okay with the memories and you kind of move forward, right? You just kind of move through it all and try to put it all behind us and move forward in a positive way with good memories from the past. And that's how you get over grief, I guess, in the best of ways. Anyway, young adults uh, today um, are really hit hard by the pandemic's economic impact. Um, you know, research is showing, like, like young people are having such a hard time with their future. And can they buy a house? Can they afford to go to school? Are they going to be able to afford to get married and have children? I mean, I know people that, that aren't getting married and having a family because they can't afford it. You know, which, by the way, is smart thinking. Like, if you can't afford it, don't do it because it can be really miserable for you and the kid. If you're in a situation that, you know, you don't want to be in or can't afford to be in. Sometimes we want things, we just can't afford them, right? So uh, young people are having a really hard time. And uh, the youngest, you know, it's the young adults that seem to be the most battered, uh, according to the studies, by, uh, by the economic impact here, right? So according to survey results shared um, with the media, the number of Canadians aged 18 to 24 who are neither working nor enrolled in education programs increased during the first nine months of the pandemic. So what does that mean? 19% of those aged 18 to 34 stopped or postponed their post-secondary, uh, uh, post-secondary studies, a finding that particularly affected indigenous black and disabled young people. Okay. So those 18 to 34, almost 20% stopped. Their schooling during the pandemic and uh, didn't go back. So younger workers also reported the greatest likelihood of working reduced hours and losing jobs with 50% of Canadians under 30 experiencing one or both of those types of outcomes. Um, young adults further reported that the pandemic continues to impact their day-to-day lives. Of course, we all know that. Uh, and the report decline, de- declines in how the pandemic affected uh, these age groups, which reported uh, declines, excuse me, reported declines in how the pandemic affected them uh, between December 2020 and June of this year. The data comes from a partnership between Enveronics and the Future Skills Center of Ryerson, uh, which conducted its third employment and skills survey in June. So more than 5,900 adults took part in the survey, uh, which explored how COVID affected employment. Well, you don't need to do a big study to figure this out, right? Because we all know. Uh, as a matter of fact, Marcy uh, uh, Len, who is the newly minted youth minister in Canada, uh, she's got a 17-year-old. Her name is Blaze. And actually, Blaze gave her permission to talk about uh, her experience. And she struggled, you know, she struggled, the daughter struggled greatly through the pandemic. Uh, Len said that her daughter had spent her last year of high school worried about going to university and whether her marks might have been better 
had she attended classes in person. Now, a lot of kids are really concerned about not doing as well as they could do if given the opportunity to actually be in classes in the last year or so to get the best marks possible, to get the best possible opportunity to enter the school of choice, right? But if you're not doing so well because it's being delivered to you virtually and you're concerned that you really need to knock these marks out of the park in order to get a good, you know, good placement, um, just you can't go backwards from this. There's just no, you can, there's nothing to appeal. Like you just, it's really, it's, it's, we're finding that this, the, 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 the CV-19 uh, affected employment, earnings, and work environments. Um, the survey found that 2,648 respons- respondents age 18 to 30 or 34. Um, so we're, we're going back to the minister. She says her, they sought help for her to continue to seek out help for her. Minister said on the mental health challenges young people are experiencing as they stare down an uncertain future. Like, you know, Ottawa touted, you know, she also touted, Minister Lynn touted, touted Ottawa's existing commitment of 13 billion over the next six years, aimed at helping young people with education, skills, training, financial support, work placements, and so on. So this is some evidence that young Canadians are considered a priority, apparently, for the federal government. I I just, you know, lots of money being thrown around, lots of money being thrown around around for youth mental health, lots of money being thrown around related to guns, gangs, and violence, uh, gun violence and, and, and youth gangs activity, which I just don't see it. Don't see it on the street. We don't see the actual results anywhere yet. And if the money's being spent, I wish they'd figure out where to spend it in a more appropriate way. So um, as we recover from this, we'll invest in training, she goes on to say. Uh, We have improved the Canadian Student Loan Program, tripling Canadian summer jobs, uh, youth employment skills strategies, blah, 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 blah. So kids aren't benefiting from any of this in real time. There's kids that need help today. Young people need help today. They can't wait six years for this to roll out or over six years to roll out. They're not going to make it. Some of these kids are in first-year college, second-year college, and may not make it into the, you know, into the following year because they just their experience is so negative that their mental health won't allow them to continue their education. Being away from family, being on campus because there's supposed to be you know, uh, classes going on and they're not, right? So this is impacting people, the young people in terms of their choices for how they're going to make a living going forward. And this is clearly going to have an impact on our society long-term as it relates to the type of people we're going to have in different jobs and in different skills-related activities, right? So, um, but interestingly enough, during the throne speech, there was hardly a mention at all about young adults. So if the government is thinking that this is a priority for them, uh, they need to make it more obvious and not just put money where their mouth is, put action where their mouth is. Um, Despite the employment rates returning to pre-pandemic levels in September, employment for men and women aged 20 to 24 is still back to pre, uh, not not yet back to pre-pandemic state. Uh, singular challenges in the survey found that while post-secondary education has historically cushioned the effects of shock, economic shock, that's not not the case now. In fact, respondents aged 18 to 24 reported that the the pandemic's negative effects were felt more keenly as educational levels rose. So for governments and for employers, this group of people is coming out of adolescence into adulthood. Uh, The transition that makes them, uh, that helps them 
make that transition from adolescence into adulthood, we're interrupting now with the inability for them to find the right placements, right job opportunities, career options, and so on. So um, we're, we're not in good shape. These kids are not doing well. Two years from now, employers are going to be interviewing people, and they're going to ask them for in their see holes in their CV, and it's going to just be easy to explain as long as we don't forget what it was like, right? So holes in their CVs, holes in their education not just in their CVs. Of course they're going to have holes because they weren't able to work because they were collecting CERB. And I hope the employers remember this. Um, if young people are worried about being overlooked throughout this crisis, uh, the minister is saying it's her job to pay attention and be responsible. I, I, lots of lip service, lots of money being spread around. I just don't see how that's really impacting these kids in any real way. Um, when we come back, we're going to be joined by a guest, and we're going to talk about um, you know your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, what calories really look like. It's something I'm looking into, trying to kind of trim my waist a little bit and eat better. Uh, so we'll join you in a minute. You're on about 640 Toronto. Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. This is Yona here on the Road to Recovery. Thank you for joining us. You know, are you uh, kind of like me? I like to eat, uh, you know, I like, but I like to eat. I try to eat properly. You know, I have my smoothie when I get up in the morning and then around 11, I have a little bit of a scoop of tuna, a scoop of, you know, a, a hard boiled egg, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of olives, a little bit of cheese. I have the same breakfast all the time. And then for lunch, usually it's a sandwich with some soup or a sandwich with a salad and maybe some kind of snacking or something in between that's supposed to be healthy. And then in the evening, you know, I have a, what I think is a healthy, a healthy dinner. And then the snacking starts. And so begins the trials and tribulations of why Yona can't get his waistline to look like he wants it to. So although every person's daily caloric intake is individual, nutritional experts estimate that the average daily consumption of each meal should be broken down as follows. 300 to 400 calories for breakfast. 500 to 700 calories for lunch and dinner and snacks should not eat or should not exceed 200 calories. I have a guest with us this evening. Her name is Natalie Georgieva and she's a registered dietitian specialized in eating disorder support with JM Nutrition. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight, Natalie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Excellent. So I really appreciate you uh, hanging in with us in, in the later evening. And I just have to warn you in advance, if it's a really good interview and you do a great job, you end up on, on, on Corey's um, experts list, which means we're going to call you again. So if you're thinking about how to answer, you might want to not want to do a great job unless you're going to get called on again, right? So just give you a heads up. Just kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> no, that yeah. sounds great. Thank you, Yona. <laughs> so it's kind of an audition, but not really. Uh, but so here, uh, you know, I, I'm a guy trying to lose weight, but I like to eat. I'm trying to eat well. My wife is, you know, a vegetarian. She eats really well. She's careful. She's, you know, trying to, to keep herself healthy and so on. We're, you know, we're both older than 50. And, um, and I do great. I do great throughout the day. And then, you know, I finish with my patient load usually at, you know, 7, 7.30. Um, I try to eat before that, usually in my lunch, my dinner break between 5 and 5.30. And then the snacking starts, right? And it starts as simple as some, a handful of cashews and some grapes and then doesn't stop. Can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. I can explain exactly why that happens. That is a really common thing, you know, eating well during the day and then the snacking happens at night. There's a reason for that. Okay. Let me have it. Yeah. So 
couple of reasons. And uh, one of the common ones that I find is when people don't get enough protein in their diet. So typically, we're supposed to have it at every single meal with our other food groups, of course. We have our carbohydrates, our vegetables, our fruit, and our fat. But in the case of protein, I find a lot of the time that is the food group that is lacking in a person's diet, whether it is meat, uh, fish, eggs, plant-based, like tofu. We, we ideally do want to have it at every meal. And in the case of meat, a serving of protein, if you use your hand as a guide, would be anywhere from the palm of your hand to even the entire hand. So it could be because of that. It could also be if we're not eating enough throughout the day. So let's say a person is trying to diet, right? They're trying to eat less during the day. They are still feeling significantly hungry. That feeling of hunger is going to grow and intensify and get very, very strong. And by the end of the day, we can't ignore it anymore. And that's where if we wait too long before eating, we're going to be craving the sugar, the highly processed foods, because our body is in desperate need of energy. So somebody told me that, uh, and I kind of try to do it once in a while, uh, but I had a trainer years ago tell me that I should have, you know, not three meals a day, but maybe four or five meals a day, but little ones, right? So um, I, I've now reduced my eating to a salad plate versus a dinner plate, um, and I try to limit the amount of food, obviously, on the salad plate, uh, so six-inch plate, six plate versus a, an eight- or ten-inch plate. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I, I guess – the, the, the issue is trying to be disciplined enough, at least for me, trying to be disciplined enough to make sure that I'm getting to the food when I need to get to the food as opposed to putting it off for another hour because I'm busy with patients or I'm doing, a, doing something on radio or TV or something, so I just can't get to it. Um, but I guess this is something we really need to be more strict about, right, in terms of, of how we eat and when we eat and the size of what we eat and all that stuff. Yeah, I would say so. Normally, what I tell my clients is that we don't want to go beyond five hours without eating, ideally. But if we do have a gap of five hours or more between our meals, that's a really long time to go without food. And we do want to have a snack in between. So stay around the two to three hour mark after a meal. And uh, I would wonder with your salad, whether there's a carbohydrate in there. That's another common reason, too. If let's say we're missing that complex carbohydrate in our meal, that doesn't... Um, we're more likely to feel hungry shortly after because that carbohydrate has the fiber in there that also helps us to feel fuller for longer. So I'm going to sound like, you know, an uneducated person because I am when it comes to this. I don't do really well understanding what's a carbohydrate, what's it, what's, you know, what's, what's, I know what green and healthy because I read about it and do some shows around it. But in terms of actually knowing what caloric intake and what's, you know, what, what's, what's protein and what's starchy and what's, I, I myself, find it hard to know which foods are which. Is there a simple way for someone kind of like me with a, you know, kind of like talking to me like a five-year-old, is there a simple way for, for people like me to kind of know what we're eating without being a, doing a lot of research and being expert around everything that goes in your mouth? Yeah, absolutely. So in the case of carbohydrate foods, think about grains. So for example, rice or pasta or quinoa, bread, those kinds of foods are going to be considered uh, your typical carbohydrate food. Now there's other ones as well. For example, we have our legumes, so chickpeas, beans, lentils, they're a bit confusing because they have protein as well, but they have carbs in addition. And then we also have our starchy vegetables. So even though they're technically a vegetable, they do have carbs too. So that would be things like potato or squash, peas, and corn. So those are our typical carbs in a nutshell. 
What's a superfood? That's a great question. So a superfood is this idea that if we are eating a certain food, we're going to get some amazing health benefits. And a lot of the times it's really a marketing gimmick. We can definitely benefit from eating certain foods. We get the nutritional benefits, but whether a single food actually provides all of the nutrients we need or has some amazing benefit, usually that's not the case. Yeah, because there's no there's no one thing for all, right? Like, I mean, it would be really nice if there was two or three super. You know, every time I read something in the you know in one of the magazines or papers throughout the week, you know, they're talking about this latest and greatest vegetable or fruit or something. It's now a superfood, and everybody's you know eating all of this stuff now, right? Um, but you know, the people talk about uh, about what you know what. what What's in a healthy diet for someone, let's say, that can't cook, right? So a lot of people say, you know, I want to, I want to eat better, but I, you know, I don't cook. I don't have that lifestyle. Um, I eat out in restaurants or, you know, with friends. Um, how does a person who can't cook for themselves eat a healthy diet? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I strongly encourage my clients, if possible, to try to aim to have a diet that is either mostly or um, completely consisting of whole foods. So whole foods, meaning foods that are in their raw, natural form, foods that are not processed. And those are typically what we think of as superfoods, right? Like the uh, acai berries and all of those kinds of foods, kale, spinach. So your whole foods are going to provide you with the most nutrients. And even though we can have processed foods as well, I know there's this misconception that just because something is process should we avoid it but the way i like to think of it is like a continuum so the more processed a food is the farther away that food is from its whole raw natural state so we have minimally processed foods all the time that would be things like your frozen fruit and vegetables in the grocery store they're technically processed but they're very much still in their whole form but now if we were to process them even further that's where we would find things like your jarred pasta sauce and pizza sauces and such, where you know that additional ingredients have been added. You can see that in the ingredients list, and a lot of those nutrients have been stripped away. So it's not just the stuff that's added. It's the, it's the stuff that's taken away from the food as well. Exactly, yeah. Whereas the whole raw foods, they are the most nutrient abundant, and they're going to provide us with the most consistent level of energy as well and satiety. So you could technically be driving around your car or sitting at your office or whatever with, you know, a couple of carrot sticks and maybe a hunk of cheese and maybe, uh, you know, some chicken. You can pick up a chicken somewhere. Uh, you can buy them anywhere, you know, barbecue chicken, and it's good for a couple, two, three days. We do that here. So there's lots of things you could be carrying around with you that you don't that you don't necessarily have to cook, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can definitely do, if you're thinking of quick, convenient options, there's, you know, the rotisserie chickens, for example. Um, We even have our frozen vegetables that I mentioned. It doesn't necessarily have to be raw. And when we think about how to make a healthy meal, it doesn't have to be this complex dish with a ton of ingredients, you know, we can really keep it simple. And I try to encourage my clients to do that because when we, we as humans, we tend to take the path of least resistance. And so if we make these options as easily accessible for us as possible, we're more likely to end up following through with that. Yeah, that makes lots of sense. So here's, here's a cheater question, sort of. Is there such a thing as a fast food, healthy diet? Like if, if you know, someone said to me, well, I go to Subway and I get the veggie sub and I get, I get the oatmeal cookie and milk and I think it's a pretty healthy lunch. 
Yes or no? Uh, it's a tough question because when it comes to fast food, you know, a lot of the time, I would say the majority of the time, the food, the components of the food, they're going to be higher in calories, higher in fat, in salt, in carbohydrates. And so it, it really doesn't compare with homemade food. You know exactly what you're putting into the dish, right? You're going to get a more consistent level of energy. You're also going to get more of the nutritional benefits. Uh, but of course, sometimes fast food comes into our diet. Sometimes we don't have time to plan for a meal all the time, which is okay. But uh, it is hard if that is sort of our predominant diet of having fast food all the time. Great, great answer. Quick question, because then I'm going to let you go. But I, I do want to tell you that you've hit 10 out of 10 here. So you, guess what? You're on the list for the future. Uh, but um, And congratulations. You've won. No money, but you've won. Um, how has uh, COVID affected our eating, do you think, in the last couple of years? Oh my gosh, I can't talk about that enough. The clients that I'm seeing, uh, a lot of them struggle with emotional eating. That is a huge, huge problem. And food has become a source of pleasure for people. And it's understandable. We're spending more time at home. More and more people are working from home now. And that all comes with a new set of challenges. And especially during the lockdown situation, and even now, a lot of the things that people enjoy doing have been taken away in some way, shape, or form. Whereas food, it's always here. It's accessible. And now people are turning to food. And not that emotional eating is a negative thing in and of itself. It's a very human thing. We all do it at some point. But the point at which it becomes problematic is if we are always turning to food to comfort us, if we don't have any other coping mechanisms in place. I'm talking with Natalie Georgieva. She is a registered dietitian specializing in eating disorder support with JM Nutrition. We're going to have her on again for sure. Uh, Natalie, thank you so much. Uh, we could spend hours talking, uh, and I'm going to use some of these tips to uh, help me along the way here. Anyway, uh, now is the time for you all to go get your snack if that's what you're going to do. We're going to take a break here, go to news, uh, be back in just a few minutes, and uh, do a bunch more stuff. When we come back, we want to look at this uh, Ottawa's promise to impose bans on handguns. 416-870-6400. If you want to talk about handguns with me, give me a call. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yonabud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. You are on the Road to Recovery. I am Yonabud, your host and driver this evening. Keep your arms in, seatbelt on. It could be a bit of a bumpy Ride. We'd like to hear from you, 416-870-6400, or if you're out of the area, 888-225-8255. Guns, should we ban them or not ban them? I want to hear from you, 416-870-6400. The government's talking about banning handguns, and uh, we've had experts on the air before here talking about the fact that we're not sure that that's going to make the difference as it relates to guns and gangs and people being killed in the street and youth, young people having access to firearms, and so on. So I want to hear what you think. Do you think we should do more to ban them or just leave them alone and focus on some other solution? 416-870-6400. Natasha's waiting to hear from you. Give us a call. We'd like to get you on air and talk about it together. The government said it's going to introduce a mandatory assault weapons buyback. It's an expanded list of banned assault-type rifles and give the provinces the power to ban handguns. So here's the issue. The provinces want the feds to do it. The feds want the cities to do it. The provinces want the cities to do it. The cities wants the province to do it. No one wants to step up. 416-870-6400. What do you think? 
Are they passing the buck, or where should this land? Should this be a municipal thing, federal thing, provincial thing, or not a thing at all? Want to hear from you. And it's calling on provinces like Ontario to come to the table. The public safety minister, Marco Mendocino, acknowledged Wednesday that the Premier Doug Ford has resisted calls by cities like Toronto to ban handguns. My message is let's work together. Let's find ways to get handguns and other guns off the streets, Mendocino said. This is a government uh, that is prepared to take the steps that are necessary. We've already put in place some additional restrictions and prohibitions on assault guns. Like, that's great. They shouldn't have been there to begin with. We banned 1,500 of them, and we're prepared to do more. We need to do more. So it's a bunch of crap. I'm sorry. If you talk to the people that are involved in youth guns and gangs, nothing is changing. All talk, but not much real action. We're not seeing a lot of real action. The government's thrown speech on Wednesday said that gun violence is on the rise in many of our biggest cities. And it was pledged, there was a pledge that re, there would be some renewed action. According to the Liberal government, they will not propose a, a national handgun ban, instead promising to move forward with any province or territory that wants to ban them. Okay, no, hot potato, it's yours. No, 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 I don't want to do it. No, you do it. No, no, I don't want to do it. You do it. Someone's got to do it because we're killing people. People are getting killed in the streets because of the access that we have to guns. Young people, youth, right? People that shouldn't have access to guns are getting them, and I don't know where they're getting them, but we're not doing much of a good, not much of a good job keeping them, much of a job at all, good or otherwise, keeping them out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them. The problem says, says the gun control advocate Heidi Rothschild, she said that no province has demanded the power to ban handguns and many oppose a ban. Cities experiencing gun violence want a national ban, but not a piecemeal province-by-province approach. I just think we need a ban <laughs> right now in Toronto, like immediately. We need to get a ban, and we need to talk about it. we got Walter on the phone. Walter, how are you? You're bad. How are you? I'm okay. So what do you think? Ban, no ban, city, province? No, it's not you. It's me. No, it's not me. It's you. We're not getting anywhere here, right? Well, we need. We just need to ban the gangbangers that have well, how you, guns. How do you do illegal. that? How do, how do you do that? Uh, how do you do that? Well, yeah. if, if you have a crime and and if somebody is killed with an illegal gun and you've got the guy with the gun, just kill him. No court case. <laughs> you don't get yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong country. Thanks, thanks for the call, Walter. I appreciate you listening in. Uh, the the refrain of wanting to work with any province that wants to get handguns off the street is basically the federal government saying has no intention on legislating to counter the prolif- proliferation of handguns. So we're we're back to he said, she said, he'll do it, he'll do it, no, I'll do it, no, you'll do it, and we just keep passing the buck as lives keep bodies keep dropping in the streets and lives keep you know being lost here. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, Walter thinks we should kill the people that, you know, that, you know, we should uh, have a death sentence, a death penalty, perhaps. And, you know, everybody's entitled to their own their own thinking. Um, you know, I, I'd hate the thought of, you know, having to put some 17 year old gangbanger who really didn't know the difference, quite frankly, and, uh, you know, have him uh, lose his life or her lose their life because of some gang related pressure to pull the trigger. Uh, but from our, you know, everyone's waiting for someone else to do the heavy lifting. And from our perspective, the insistence on pushing the local provincial approach virtually guarantees that nothing will happen. doesn't look like anything's moving forward here. I want to hear what you think. 416-870-6400. Or if you're out of the area, 888-225-8255. Uh, and I do appreciate Walter calling, by the way. I may not agree with his uh, his comments, but I, I, I do appreciate him calling and voicing his opinion. It's, 
You know, it's what he's entitled to do, and that's what I asked for. Not, don't have to think like me. Just think like you. I just want to hear from you. A senior federal government official conceded that the past offer to give the power to municipalities under the jurisdiction uh, of the provinces, it's not going to work to advance any kind of ban on handguns. Um, i got Ian on the phone here. Ian, how are you tonight? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good, man. You Thanks know, so much for... Go ahead. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, <clears throat> my opinion is, you can say, you know, okay, these guns are bad and, and uh, you know, they're banned, but unless you were to tack on an extra sentence, an extra harsher sentence for using one of those guns, the guns are still going to be used. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 so what you're talking about, I think, is something that we've, we've been chatting about, I think, for, for several years with the experts on guns and gang violence, and that is that the penalty doesn't seem to be that big a deal. As a matter of fact, for some of these young gangbangers, it ends up being a badge of a badge of honor to get busted with a weapon and you go to court really not doing much time unless, of course, you kill somebody. Um, but even then, it's, you know, it's uh, few and far between here. But, you know, what, what do you think the solution is, Ian? Do you have a thought in your mind of kind of, if you were if I gave you the key and said, okay, now you're in charge, Ian, you're in charge of gun and gang violence here in the GTA, what, what do you think you'd do? You know, okay, when I lived in England, if, if you went to jail for doing any kind of crime with a gun, you were considered a coward by the other prisoners, okay? And they let you know that you were a coward. Interesting. What, you know, what we've really got to do is, is start, you know, like, okay, this gun is, this gun, I, I'm, I'm all for the long rifle. I think, you know, like there's so many, there's so many people that are responsible. No gang banger is walking around with a long rifle for God's exactly. sake. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. happen. Okay. Exactly. But the handguns, okay. If they're caught doing a crime with the handgun, instead of pulling a knife on, you know, let's just say a robbery. Okay. Of a convenience store. Yep. All right. Um, if it's, if it's a knife, you get this sentence. If you use the gun, Oh, you're you're getting an extra couple of years here, buddy, and that might help deter. You know, if I get caught doing this, I'm going away for a little bit longer than the normal six months that it seems to be the revolving door right now. Well, you know what? I think that has some. Uh, that probably has some legs, and uh, I hope that uh, next time you talk to your member of parliament, let them know that's exactly what's on your mind. Appreciate you calling in, and and, and please stay with the show some other time. Love to hear from you again. We have Terry on the phone. Uh, believes the problem at the border is with Canadian Border Service Agency. I couldn't agree with you more, Terry. Uh, welcome to the show. We've got about a minute. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. You know, when I hear. Things like programs for a buyback, uh, that, that's nothing but a garage sale for right. legally licensed gun owners. Right. The problem is at the border. Let's throw some bucks at the CBSA and let's make sure that we're getting those guns are coming in from the United States. Let's stop it where they're coming in. Port of entry. <laughs> Appreciate the call, Terry. Wise words. Appreciate you being a listener, and thanks so much for calling in. Uh, some great, some great listeners. Some good callers, and uh, everyone's got an opinion. It's obviously, obviously, a soft point with lots of people. As soon as we come back from uh, break, here we're going to talk about uh, divorce and uh, breakup. 
and uh, some tips on how to get past a bad breakup. And we have an expert on with us, uh, and I'm sure she's going to be uh, very helpful in helping us understand how do you get through a bad breakup and give me some strategies so I'm not living like a miserable guy or gal and uh, just hating life because the person I want to be with isn't with me or, you know, I want to be with them, they don't want to be with me or whatever it is, but we're not together and it's tearing me apart. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. As soon as we come back from break, Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. It's now 1018. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, your pets perhaps? If you don't know where they are, you should probably find them. If you can't find them, you're concerned for their well-being, call 911. If you're really stuck, give us a call here and uh, we'll do what we can to help you out. You can always call me anytime through the week, uh, 877-777-5808, 877 5808, and we'll get to you uh, in person and within 24 hours and help you in whatever way that we can. You know, ever had that bad breakup? I remember going back years ago. I'd been with the same girl now for a long time, but I remember breaking up a few times, being broken up with. Um, and, you know, it's not fun. It's just not fun. And, it, you know, when you're young, especially, and it's the first couple of times, it's devastating. Even as an adult, if you're in a relationship where you're really invested emotionally and otherwise, it can be just, you know, it can destroy your 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 day-to-day life as it relates to going to work and eating and sleeping and so on. So we want to talk tonight about how to get past, um, you know, the, the psycho- some psychological strategies of getting past a, a bad breakup. And I've got a guest with me this evening. Her name is Joanne Lopez, and she's a breakup and divorce recovery coach. Like, honestly, I don't know how we find these people. She's perfect. Uh, she's a neuro-linguistic and hypnosis practitioner and an inspirational speaker. And uh, she's joining us tonight. She's uh, got a background in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, clinical hypnosis, um, emotional freedom techniques. And she runs workshops and retreats and one-on-one sessions. And we got her here with us tonight, and we're really lucky. Joanne, thank, Joanna, thank you for joining us tonight. Hello, 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 John, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and uh, wow, a breakup and, dis- and divorce recovery coach. Like, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, you're perfect for us for right now, and you're perfect for me going forward because I have so many patients that have issues with this, so it's great to know that this is what you do. And like I told one of our previous guests this evening, if, if you're careful, if you do a really good job, we're going to have you back on again. So, uh, we're, we're, you know, because relationships are so critical, right? In our day to day life and our mental, you know, good, healthy, you know, good mental health and, and so on. So, um, it, you know, no, I, I have an, yeah, I do have an article here and, and, and we I got a couple of kind of key strategies that they suggest, uh, that we're talking about. And one of them, and, and kind of want to get you online with me here and see what you think about each of these and we can talk about them together. Uh, the first yeah, one is absolutely. to stay, they, the first one is to stay away from your ex as far as you can. Don't reach out or don't don't look to understand why the relationship ended. Don't indulge in following their social media feeds. Is this really a thing? Is this really a, is this really a technique? Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, of course, you can say some. You can say an individual to stay away from them because every time you go back to the social media, obviously there are going to be triggers. There are going to be emotions. But even though you can understand something with your logic mind unless a shift happens on the unconscious mind, your neurons are going to keep asking for the same. So if for whatever reason you feel you feel like you cannot stop looking at their feed, uh, at their social media feed, like just know that it's okay, that you're not going nuts, and it's not like you're not understanding what's going on. It is because it's basically a psychological reaction, right? Your neurons are still asking for the same because the shift hasn't happened 
at the unconscious level. But right. if you can, and you, if you can allow yourself to try to stay away as much as you can, do the best that you can. Yeah. So when you, when, but when you're in the middle of a breakup, you know, people yeah. somehow, people are somehow drawn to the stuff that their ex is doing exactly like you said, you know, stay away from the feeds and watch, watch what they're doing. You know, I have, <clears throat> I have a couple of patients right now that are in a horrible breakup and you know, they'll yeah. say to me, well, you know, I looked at his social media and he was out last night and I saw pictures of where he was, or I saw pictures mm-hmm. of where she was and she was with another guy and it's, I can't get out of bed. That's why I'm drinking so much and so on. Like, <laughs> you know, why, why would you pick away at the scab? Right. Well, the thing is, uh, what I feel like people, I mean, I personally feel that we are not educated enough to know what happens in the brain when people are going through breakups. Like, we really don't know. And I think I, think I would love, if, if, if with your permission, to actually share a little yes, bit. Please. Yes, please. Basically, what you are experiencing, the, the emotions that you're experiencing, the desires to go back to, to, to see what they are doing, if they still love you, if they still want to be with you, and, and to, to basically keep them, like, keep them in check, right? It is because we have a part in your brain called the amygdala, and the amygdala is responsible for the fight and flight response, right? So now, when a big change is about to happen, like a divorce or a breakup, the, that part of the brain does whatever it takes, whatever it takes to keep things the same. Because for that part of the brain, change represents danger. So when, when that happens, basically, you, basically that part of the brain releases a bunch of chemicals and it starts making you, your ex, kind of putting your ex on a pedestal. It, it makes you forget the reasons why you didn't, you didn't want to be in that relationship. Because obviously if you guys broke up, you guys broke up for a reason. Something was not working, right? Let's get real here. So, but when you are going through all of those uh, psychological reactions, your brain is going to make you forget why you were unhappy when you were with them and it's going to put them on a pedestal. So, and it feels like the only way that the pain can stop is if you get a text message from them, if you get to call, if you get to talk to them on the phone or to see them, it feels like the only way that the pain can stop is if you have some kind of contact with them. So why is it important to know this? It's important to know this for two things. One, to know that you are not going crazy, and two, to kind of like get yourself into a place to understand that what you are experiencing is more than the loss that you think that you feel for them. Yes, there is loss involved, but it's actually a psychological reaction that you're experiencing in that moment. So knowing this, it actually can give you perspective and allow yourself to feel, okay, I am just going through the psychological reactions that I'm, that I'm experiencing right now in my body, and, and everything that, I, that I'm feeling right now is just because my brain is, is freaking out. I'm having an amygdala hijack right now because I know that things are moving, things are changing, and change for that part of my brain represents danger. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to... To stay here in, in, in my body to try to, to see, to process the emotion, so to speak. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah, so it's it's very much like, you know, what you're talking about is you know, get you want to see them or hear from them or watch them. It's a fix, right? You're looking to get a fix, no different than, you know, uh, having a drink or doing a line of Coke or sticking a needle in your arm or whatever. It, it, you, need yeah. to, you need to get that fix to make the pain go away. 
Um, exactly. what's, so what's the, the, the natural question now is, okay, so what do we do instead? So if, what, how do we, um, you know, I could, if you have a substance abuse issue, I could tell you all the things you could do to stay away from uh, the use of those substances, gaming, gambling, sexting, texting. Um, when you get down to relationships like this and you're so emotionally invested, what other things can we do, um, to try to overcome that need for the fix? What kind of fix can we give us instead? Okay, God, thank you. That's a great question. Well, the reason why I want you, I want everyone, the audience, whoever is listening to this, is because once you know, there is power in that. Because um, awareness is the first step of healing. Whatever you are aware of, you are in charge. Whatever you are not aware of is in charge of you. The moment you know something is the moment that you can do something about it, right? So right. once you know that what you are experiencing is more than the loss that you might think that you feel for your ex, that is right. actually something else. That also, that, that already starts changing things a little bit. Because a lot of people, when we experience that withdrawal, that, that, that crazy feeling like, oh, my God, yeah. With, yeah. if I don't talk to them, I'm going to die kind of thing. Exactly. Once you understand that that is more than the loss, because a lot of people make the mistake to think, oh, my God, I made a mistake. I made a mistake, and probably they are the loss of my life. But that's not the case. For, mo- for most of the time, it's not the case. It is because, um, because of, what, because of the, what's happening in, in your brain. Right? Now, now that you understand that, the best thing to do when you are experiencing that, well, there are a couple, there are a couple of things that you can do. One of them is practicing acceptance. And I know that acceptance will be very hard to practice when you're feeling that. But it's actually one of the faster ways to find some kind of relief, like kind of like making peace with where you are. And you do so. So, so, ba- so basically, she's gone or he's gone. It's over. I got to move on. Is that what you mean by acceptance? Yes, kind okay. of. Like, let, let me explain. I, I think this is going to make makes a lot of sense, and people will really like it. It's okay. kind of like when we are going through our emotions and, and our thoughts, like our mind, all, all we can think is like, a, why did this happen? And you start like running the whole story of, of what happened. When did you make a mistake? Like if you wouldn't say this or if you wouldn't say, say that, if you, I don't know, like your mind starts going nuts, like analyzing the whole, the whole scene of what happened or before pri- uh, prior to the breakup, right? Yep. So if you can like i mean i say if you can because you might not even be able to get to that place but if you can find yourself to a place okay this happened this happened like we we broke up like this happened and do the best that you can to try to make peace and if you don't know how to make peace you don't need you don't really have to you really don't know you don't really need to know how to make peace all you really need to do is, um, and I'm not saying to you, but the audience, like, is uh, you need to be willing to make peace with what happened. If you can get yourself to, if, if you don't know how to make peace, because you probably won't, if, if you're feeling the, the emotional contrast, you can tell yourself, I am willing to make peace with what happened. I am willing to make peace that this happened. I'm willing to make peace. I'm willing to accept that this happened. Why, why is it important to make peace with what happened? Because the moment that you are choosing to make peace with what is happening, you are going to stop pushing against it. And your mind is going to start calming down and you're going to be able to see things in a slightly different way. 
instead of keep running under the spell of emotions. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> remarkable advice. Unfortunately, we ran out of time. I'd love to have you back again for sure. Um, Joanna, how do people find you? Yes, absolutely. People can find me at joannalopez.com. And also I have a lot of resources on Facebook. I do have a type of therapy that can help people accelerate the process. They have free resources on my Facebook page, Instagram page, uh, LinkedIn. So Joanna Lopez, you can find me on um, Instagram at Your Breakup Therapist. Amazing. Your Breakup Therapist, uh, Joanna Lopez, excellent guest. Love to have you back. Uh, amazing field that you're involved in, and you're an excellent guest. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, when we come back from break, well, you know, like there's so much to learn from all these people that have great expertise. Anyway, we're glad that we're able to get them here with us this, tonight, and she's, uh, she's amazing. Uh, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff. Canadians talking about travel, you know, what's that all about, and uh, how do you feel about it? So when we come back from break, 416-870-6400. You go anywhere, anywhere? Let us know. I want to talk about it with you. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yonabud on 640 Toronto. Okie dokie. Are you like me thinking about taking a trip but maybe not really sure about it? You know, I've been talking to my uh, my wife, Pumpkin, and saying, you know, we got to get out of here, get away and uh, give ourselves a break and get, you know, get, to, to get, to a, uh, get to some place where we can actually maybe sitting with your feet in the sand and a little sunshine, especially in the winter. But then you start looking at stuff like numbers and travel restrictions and the crap you got to do going through the airport and, you know, testing and then not testing and negatives and positives and false negatives and people staying in hotels. Like it's enough to make me spin in my head. Want to know how you feel about it? Are you planning to go away anywhere in the next little while? Give us a call. 416-870-6400. Tell me what plans you're making. And kind of how you feel about that. Because there's a study that was just made, uh, according to Global News. A majority of Canadians feel the second holiday season spent under the cloud of COVID will be better than the first, according to the new poll. Uh, though many say they will still be taking steps to protect themselves. The uh, Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News found 66% of the people who responded were optimistic about the coming holidays compared to 2020. And only 44% said the, fees, the season fell will feel normal again. So a small percentage of people feel like it's going to be a normal year. Uh, the optimism may be linked to people. Uh, the optimism may be linked to people's willingness to gather with family and friends again. But uh, while the, the poll suggests that 7 out of 10 Canadians will open their homes to loved ones this year, uh, also showing that Canadians are taking precautions, 54%. They're thinking twice about who to invite, and if you're not vaccinated, you're not coming. But there's also a divide uh, amongst uh, Canadians who want to see more friends and family. 33% of them uh, said they do will do so freely without any limits. Uh, the 38% said they will only get together with extended family members. And as for larger groups, we're not really sure. Uh, only 36% agreed that they're ready to let loose uh, with their usual holiday traditions. <clears throat> that number fell to 21%. So a lot of statistics here. Around The survey was done amongst 1,000 Canadians, uh, specifically done for uh, global news. Overall, Canadians continued cautious around, caution around the holidays. Uh, not that many are actually thinking about plants. Optimism about the holiday also, offered, also differs across the country, uh, where Quebec saw the most people agree this year 
that will be better in 2020 than 71 percent. Uh, that they require support. The poll also suggests 77% of Quebecers want to gather with family and friends again in some form. Um, and likely um, respondents remember the strict circuit breaker measures in place last winter and uh, have prevented similar gatherings last year. But if you want to go and have a good time and visit family and friends this season, Quebec's a pretty good place to go, according to the writer, uh, the author of this article, article, the name is Bricker. Well, that's great, but there's 2,000 cases in Quebec today. So uh, my wife's like, nah, we're not going to Montreal. Anyway, Saskatchewan and Manitoba saw the, the least agreement that the holiday will be better with only 50%, 57% saying no, it's not going to be a better year than before. A lot of people are concerned about the spending, you know, the spending around the holiday period. People are concerned that uh, they don't have the money, right? So how do you feel about traveling? I want to hear about how you feel about traveling uh, when um, – during this next couple, two, three, four months, 416-870-6400. If you're out of the area, 888-225-8255. I get paid extra when more people call. Just kidding. Uh, but would love to hear from you, seriously. Uh, 416-870-6400. What are your plans? Where are you going? You're going to go away somewhere? I know a lot of people are headed to the islands. Not so many people headed to the States. You know, my friends and you know buddies that used to go to Florida year after year after year, Nope, they're going to the Bahamas, they're going to Dominican, they're going to Costa Rica, they're going to uh, all kinds of cool places that I sort of want to go to. I really do. I'm just not sure I'm ready to go through it. You know, my anxiety and, and, and my anxiety disorder, I just, not, you know, may just be triggered a little too much for me to actually go through the nonsense and the, and the, and the harassment at the border. I, I don't like traveling by air under the best of times, at the best of times with taking off your belt and your shoes and this bag and that bag and cramping on the plane and pushing and shoving. It's just not my thing under the best of times. But I want to know what you think. Are you looking to get out of Dodge, so to speak? Are we trying to get out of this city, out of this, out of this country, perhaps? Because if you think about places in Canada to go to, there's not that many that are warm enough to make me feel really good about it. I mean, I'd go to Vancouver, but it's cold there, too, right? Uh, you know, there's some beautiful places in Canada if you dress for it and enjoy the outdoor war, uh, w- winter season. So I'm at a stage in my life where I don't do that anymore. I don't like snowmobiling anymore. I don't ski. I do like to skate. But unfortunately, where I skate, they haven't made the ice yet. And uh, we're hoping that's going to be opened up soon. But, you know, for the most part, I'm looking to get out of, out of the city. I'm looking to get out of town and, and try to do something uh, that could potentially be some fun, be fun and, you know, give my, my wife and I a chance to have a break and have a rest. Um, but a lot of people are having a really hard time. They're not quite sure if they should travel. They want to avoid spending money on travel. 40, 40, as a matter of fact, 40% of the respondents from this survey said they're concerned about getting in over their heads financially, and that number rises to 57% amongst Canadians 18 to 34. So younger people are concerned about spending any money on the holidays because they're not sure what tomorrow's going to look like. And you know what? That's pretty prudent thinking, if you ask me. Um, but anyway... Additionally, uh, nearly half of those surveyed, about 46%, are concerned that they're not going to have enough money to buy holiday gifts and so on. That's another part of the poll that we saw here for for uh, Global News. Um, and the poll suggests that half Canadians will be cautious about how much time, how much they spend on gifts and gatherings and will spend less than usual. 6% said they will be going all out, and the balance are going to be a lot more reserved in their annual spending. And, you know, like I, I do, I get it. It, it. it makes total sense to me. Uh, you want to be cautious. Who knows what tomorrow is going to bring and, you know, and so on. But traveling out of town, I just not hearing that many 
people calling in, so I guess there's not that many plans. Uh, lots of great deals. I got friends that are telling me you can fly to Florida, Florida for 99 bucks return. So it's cheap, but um, you got to be concerned around uh, what's going on. I got Omar on the phone. Uh, we're just getting ready to go to break here, but we can take Omar real quick. Uh, he's on his way to Florida. Hey, Omar. How are you? I don't know. I kind of want to be going with you, I think, a little bit. I want to be with you with these $99 tickets. I never heard of those. <laughs> well, obviously, you're not going to be with me because I don't have one. Um, or, you know, I, 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 I but uh, yeah, I, I, a bunch of my buddies showed me these these $99 tickets or 99 at least 99 one way maybe, but cheap, like cheap. Uh, trips to the Bahamas or hotels in Costa Rica and places like that, cheap, like much cheaper than they used to be. Um, you're, wow. you're going to, you, you normally go to Florida? Is this a, an, an annual thing for you? Yeah, my grandparents have a place down there, so we go uh, during the Christmas holidays in December. And this year, obviously, uh, it's a bit different. We didn't go last year for um, for known reasons, but this year we're kind of braving the storm, and we're going to see how it weighs out. So, do you have any anxiety at all around uh, around the trip? Listen, I'm I'm of the school of thought that life has to go on. Obviously, remaining cautious, and um, I am I am vaccinated. However. Florida is a whole different ballpark here. We're talking about the unvaccinated anti-maskers of the anti-maskers, you know? So I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a little bit yeah. hesitant there, but, you know, it's life, life does have to go on, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be cautious there. And I, I am a little on edge about the whole, you know, what if I test positive when I have to come back to work? And, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of factors that weigh into it. Well, I appreciate the call, and uh, I hope you enjoy your trip. And if you stick around and listen to the next segment, I got seven tips on managing your anxiety around travel. So uh, maybe it'll be helpful. Appreciate the call, my friend, and uh, we'll look to hear back from you again. Thanks so much for being a listener. As soon as we come back from break, actually, we're going to talk about uh, seven tips for managing your anxiety about travel because travelers in Ontario scramble as U.S. implements all these new testing requirements. People are going through the roof, freaking out, and so on. So we'll see if we can settle everybody down as soon as we come back from break. Yonabad 640 Toronto. Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to our last stop here on the Road to Recovery. We appreciate you joining us and behaving yourself so well on the bus. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and we know we have other choices and we're glad you choose cho- choose you're glad you choose us we don't have to speak english on this show <laughs> just kidding we're glad you chose us and uh happy to have you uh chime in when you can with your calls really appreciate it seven tips for managing anxiety about traveling oh my gosh i you know for years <clears throat> i didn't realize that i had an anxiety disorder and you know getting ready to go to the to the airport and packing my stuff and worrying about getting to the airport on time and getting through security on time and all that stuff was, was just so overbearing for me that travel was a very difficult experience until I realized I had an anxiety disorder and now I prepare for it differently, plan for it differently, and uh, it's much, much easier, although I haven't done much traveling, frankly, by plane in quite some time. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the things that, that we have to understand is that um, – Anxiety can strike even the most unflappable, chilling person amongst us. I mean, those that the most chilled person sometimes gets anxiety when they don't really uh, expect it and aren't kind of sure where it comes from. But whether you experience whether you're, you're you experience one or the other or both have different kinds of anxiety, whether it's just something you have when you're traveling, <clears throat> here's some thoughts that you might want to keep in mind. First, repeat this phrase: 
either mentally or out loud. Anxiety is a necessary and even helpful part of traveling. Having a 100% stress-free trip is simply not feasible. And uh, most travelers will say that the people that travel several times a month, there's a lot that can go wrong when you travel, and some things do just simply happen. So getting hopelessly turned around, dealing with flight delays, losing your luggage, and similar stress-inducing scenarios aren't exactly rare activities. You kind of have to plan for it. I tell people that have anxiety that need to travel for whatever reason, plan for delays, plan for showing up late, plan, plan, plan. So get to the airport real early. You know, don't leave with, you know, leave with lots and lots of time, right? Making sure you've got a plan B, a plan C. If you can't go here, you'll do this instead. If you can't go there, you'll do this instead. If you miss this flight, you'll get on this flight. If this hotel isn't available, you'll take this hotel. Have a plan. And when you have a plan, it makes it a lot easier to manage your anxiety. Number two, identify what usually causes you the most stress, like whether it's you're rushed in getting to your flight on time. And if that's the case, then take steps to get there, like setting tons of alarms, guaranteeing that you'll get out of the house with plenty of time. Give yourself an extra hour. What's the difference? If you're getting up at 6.30, get up at 5.30. You're up anyway, right? If you sleep like me, you're waiting for the alarm to turn off and your eyes are kind of half open. So identify what's really stressing you out. And when you do that, so if you always show up late for your flights and, and, and they're getting ready to close the door, choose a different way to go. Prep ahead. Be ready, right? Uh, if you're far too familiar with the panic attack stuff, like, wait, where's my passport? Can't find my wallet. Where are my keys? Prepare all that stuff at night, the night before. Put it on a table that's close to where you want to be or do what I do. I put it in the jacket or the wallet or the briefcase that I'm carrying. Put all my stuff in there, and I know before I go to sleep at night that it's there. I get up in the morning, I don't have to start running around looking for stuff. I'll panic half the evening finding it. But that's different than getting to the next day, right? So if you, you can, there's ways to manage yourself. These are things you can do to help yourself. Uh, you might as well be on Mars when your GPS breaks down. So print a copy of the directions you need. Don't always rely on the technology. Uh, Waze and, and, and Google and some of those, they just blank out. Sometimes the satellites don't connect, and you're sitting there going, oh, my God, where do I go next? I don't know where I am. So do like the old school people like me. Actually print out the directions, maybe a little bit of a map so you actually know where you're going. Um, so don't rely on GPS. If it doesn't work and you're going to freak out, have a second plan. The plan is hard copy, right? Um, if you inevitably board a long train ride only to realize you left your headphones at home or that your phone is dying and you have no way to entertain yourself, well, those phone reminders are golden. So make sure that before you leave that you remember to charge. Again, the night before, charge your phone. Pull out your, your, your headphones. Make sure you have a second pair of headphones, perhaps a second pair of buds or, you know, the head, you know, simple headphones that you can carry around easily in your, in your wallet or in your, in your, in your pocket, right? Um, and just make sure that you have all the devices that you need. Everything is loaded. If you want to download movies, make sure you have them downloaded already and just prepare, 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 prepare. If you're going out of the country or somewhere where you've never been before, you definitely need to read up on basic travel logistics beforehand. Things that cover, you know, that you want to look at are things like uh, common phrases to help you uh, in, in some local language. Like, I, you know, my, my wife would say, I speak very little languages in many languages. So I speak, I can say a few words in a lot of different languages just so I can say hi, uh, hi, thank you, goodbye, um, how are you? I try to, you know, couple two, three, four phrases in whatever language in whatever country I'm going to. Uh, see if you need some kind of special visa. There's nothing worse than getting to the airport and getting turned around because you don't have the necessary paperwork. Here's another one. I got stuck with this like more than once. Like I'd like to say it was once and I learned from it twice in my adult life. Passport expiry date. And it has to be far enough away from when you're traveling. I actually traveled on a day 
where my passport expired and coming back was a real treat. You can only imagine. Um, you got to know if you're going to a country or, or a place that you're not familiar with, where's the best place to exchange currency? Is it a bank machine? Is it the local bank? They're not always straight up either, right? So you want to make sure that you know where to change your money. Um, I tend to want to use credit cards as much as possible because you get the best exchange rate typically. Um, if you got something to share with me here, let me know, 416-870-6400. Uh, you can call BS if I'm wrong. Let me know. I want to hear from you. Uh, what kind of electrical outlets? I, I, meant, I once got to Germany with a whole bunch of electronics, and I didn't have a uh, an adapter. I, mean, I was able to get one from the front desk. Uh, I was lucky, but not having an adapter, not being able to plug things in. Not everyone lives like we do. Hard to believe, right? Not all the plugs are the same. Uh, tap water, for example, you know, you got to be you got to be making sure that you're, what the tap water that you're drinking uh, is safe. And I tend to not drink any tap water anywhere uh, other than at home, frankly. Uh, so bottled water is great. You know, if you can buy bottled water, it's the way to go. Um, if tipping is customary, uh, or if you can save that money for things like souvenirs. So um, I, I, you know, I I'm not sure I agree with this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I think you need to tip, period, especially these days. Uh, people need to make a living, and uh, I feel bad. I, I tend to tip higher now than I did before because I believe that everybody's a little under the financial weather, so to speak. Uh, so if your phone company will charge you the equivalent of what they say here, your 401K, so it's an American uh, American article. But if there's, you know, if, I, I, I remember coming back from a trip with a, to a, to a uh, 300 and some odd dollar roaming charge. Uh, because I didn't set my phone up properly. If you if you set your phone up properly before you go away, <clears throat> it costs like nothing. You, you, you can, it's like five bucks a day or something while you're away to uh, use all the data you want when you're in another country or another place, right? Um, and you want to make sure you're dealing, you know, you're careful with the data you use if you're not on a program when you're uplift, up, you know, uplift, uploading photos to Instagram or any other social site while you're bragging and showing everybody the great time that you're having. So it's very important to recognize where you are and what the options are for things like uh, charging a phone if your phone breaks, where you can go, and so on. Uh, what if any kinds of scams people are commonly using uh, in those uh, neighborhoods, in those countries, in those cities? Uh, typically with tourists, you can find those. You can Google, you know, what's the biggest scam in uh, Nassau, and it'll tell you what's going on in Nassau. And you need to have an emergency number in your phone before you leave this country in that country. So if that country is 811, then you want to have 811 programmed in your phone. Uh, and planning all this stuff out ahead for people like me, for example, reduces anxiety significantly. So instead of just ruminating on worst-case scenarios, play them out in your head, right? And you know that navigating what-ifs about everything that could go wrong with your travel is just not a way to go. What if this happens? What if that happens? So prepare. What if, I, well, no, what if my earphones break? If I have a second pair. What if my phone dies? Make sure it's charged before you go. You leave the place. What if this? What if that? I take extra socks. I take extra this, extra that. I'd rather have extra than not enough, right? And typically when you go somewhere, for the most part, unless you're going to a, so to a, a country where you're really kind of, um, you know, in, in, a, in a secluded area, you can pretty much buy anything you need like this kind of stuff uh, at most of the hotel front desks, right? They all, they all have extra headphones. They all have extra this and extra that. Um, and if you're, you know, you want to check into the local cuisine too, because you don't want to be going out to eat and finding yourself in a situation where you can't eat the food when you get there. I was in China once, walked into a restaurant, and all they were serving were animals hanging from, uh, from a, a hook and uh, way, too, uh, way too real for me. Uh, so I wasn't able to eat the food there. I found one restaurant that served American food, and I ate there for a week, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, keep running a list of your past travel wins through your head if you're feeling anxious. 
right? Remember when you were freaking out and how it actually turned out? Trade on the positive experience. Have the positive self-talk instead of the negative. Oh, this is not going to work and this is not going to work. And remember, no, no, no. I, just, I remember thinking this last time and it worked out amazing. This happened, that happened, and this happened. As long as you're in control of you, things will not get out of line, right? Recognize when your anxiety is overblown and then challenge it with the facts. Am I really, should I really be feeling like this? Like, seriously, Yona, get your head together. Why are you thinking like this, right? You know it doesn't make sense. Stay in the moment, right? Mindfulness. Stay in the moment. Know, know that, you know, today is today. What happened yesterday happened yesterday. Know when to talk to somebody. So if you're not feeling great and you're having a lot of anxiety around travel, probably a good idea to talk to somebody and get the advice that you need and, the, and perhaps the therapy that you need. Um, and there's lots of people out there that will be there to help you um, with that kind of stuff. Talking to somebody about feeling anxious is one of the best ways to get over your anxiety. Just remember, you are in control of you. And situations that are out of your control are just out of your control. You do the best you can to survive with what, you can, with what you've got in front of you. But you're not out of control. You, can't, you may be not flying the plane, and you're certainly not in charge of cleaning the hotel room, uh, but these are all things that you can get over when you recognize that the, the person flying the plane is an expert. The people that are running the hotel are experts, and you've got to let the experts do what they do best. And by the way, if things don't work out so great, so you ask for something back, another room, a different place, something else, right? You can always have some control over the end result uh, <clears throat> when you put yourself in that position. So if you're traveling or if you're just hanging out with people this next week or two over the holidays or just generally, make sure you give them a hug and tell them you love them. And uh, just uh, be nice to the people that are close to you, and uh, then they'll be nice to you, and it makes for a great holiday. Love you guys. You're the best audience ever. We'll see you next week, and uh, have a safe and easy week. And uh, get ready for that fa la 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 and holiday season. Spread some cheer. People love it. People need it, and it's good for you too. We'll see you next week. Yonabud, 640 Toronto.